Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors, for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. I am one of the hosts, Frank Gill, up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All the way in Baltimore, Maryland, my buddy Jeff Simpson. Hello. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, we've got Delmar Pete. Tis the season. And together, streaming live from the Jewel of Tampa Bay, Safety Harbor, Florida, we have Mormon number one, Andrew Larson. <laughs> Greetings. And, Hello. Mormon, and Mormon number two, Timothy Miller. Wait, wouldn't Ding they be dong. elders? But see, here's the thing. We're not wearing short sleeve shirts. I'm just waiting for my mission. <laughs> Guys, when I drive someone from here to the Dulles airport, next time I go, I'm going to take a picture and send it to y'all. There is a humongous Mormon tabernacle, mm. with giant golden uh, like spires, and a li- the little guy with the trumpet at the top. Wow. <laughs> it's like it almost looks like Disney World-esque when you're pulling up on it on the highway. I'll take a picture next time. It's creepy. Disney World. If you're Mormons. if you're not if you're just listening to this, the reason why I'm calling Andrew and Tim Mormons is is it's not abnormal for Andrew to wear a tie. But what is happening? Nothing. You're good. Oh, <laughs> but are you good? <laughs> Someone just sent me a video from a service yesterday, and it auto played. Sorry. Right, okay, cool. boomer. Cool. And but Tim, <laughs> who never wears a tie. We're lucky when Tim has a shirt on. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Is looking like so dapper right now. So well, Andrew made fun of my attire last week, so I thought I would just kind of go overboard this week. Actually, and... Tim, you look like a father who's about to chaperone his 13-year-old's middle school dance, and I That's love true. it. Daddy, I'd be all tonight. over that. I know. Hey, can I, Tim, did you – so I saw that you guys on the Morning After Ministry podcast, shout out to that, uh, yeah. there was a tie-tying lesson. Did you – is that how you learned <laughs> yeah. to tie a tie? That's exactly how I learned to tie a tie. Where are we so going with that, Andrew? That's, what kind no, of knot we got there? I have no idea. Like, it's the only knot I've ever known how to like tie. A, that, that looks like a half Windsor. That was not the knot that I taught. I, I know. I know. Now one you gotta knot, go. You gotta do. go full Windsor or double Windsor for it to stay straight, right? Half not, Windsor, not, kind not of. With a, yeah, but not with a skinny tie. You can't okay, go okay. full. You gotcha. can't go full Windsor with a skinny tie. Do, do you guys? Um, I know four of the five of us were youth pastors before we came to our current position. Have you guys been told either by your spouses or by people in your church who wasn't to, a youth pastor? I mean, you were a worship I was. pastor. I mean, I'm but you offended. Were also, you were also wow. a youth pastor. Okay. All of us came from fake pastor jobs into this new role. So <laughs> Where only two of us are fake pastors. Hey! <laughs> Shout out to last week. All right. How did I miss that? So my question is... Hey, guys, I'm preaching this week. <laughs> okay, great. Um... Did any of you guys, either by your spouse or by someone in your church, encourage you to dress more like a pastor when you left your previous position? Does that make sense? Like, I was told, you know, cargo shorts and T-shirts were a youth ministry staple. Um, how did you transit? Like, what were the, the things you had to change? I was you? I was told that while I was still a youth pastor. So I, the first time I <laughs> preached, I had holes in my jeans and uh, I stepped off the stage and one of our elders grabbed me and said, Tim, great sermon on the Holy Spirit. Next time, wear some pants without holes in them. The My previous church, I went from the youth pastor to the associate pastor. And at that church, I, I moved offices like into like the main building. It was the whole thing. And I had an elder tell me that I needed to dress like I belonged there. Wow. Which is funny because he was the one that spearheaded the hiring of the new senior pastor who wears shorts and a t-shirt every single day. 
but I had all these shirts that you can button up, but you didn't have to tuck in. They were made that way. And my pastor says, listen, you need to exegete your audience and button your, um, put your shirt tails inside of your pants. So those are nice. They're like flat on the bottom, right? Not yet. They're really nice, but now I have to figure out how to get them to tuck tuck in. So yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I did. I mean, I rode the uh, "I'm the worship pastor" thing as long as I could. So, free pass. Uh, yeah, you, you're artsy, so you can get away with that. <laughs> did Did you? Uh, I did. That, I used the, to. The I used to like to do that. Worship I, pastors. I, no, wore. I never did the scarf, but I did have the faux hawk. Did you do the and wide neck, like the really wide neck shirt? I tried, but I, I'm too chunky for that, so I never did that. But <laughs> it was I was uh, never that wide. <laughs> no, my well, my neck is too wide. That's the problem. <laughs> um, but I did do the uh, Jeremy Camp T-shirt over the dress shirt for a while. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good. That was good. And then, the, and then, and then, when I got into the Mars Hill music, I did the Dustin Kensrue vest. Oh yes. over the dress shirt. I'm that okay. was a good movement. Still a good look. Yeah. I like the vest mm-hmm. over the dress shirt. I just I like ties. I'm a big fan. Oh, you can go tie. You can go tie oh, with yes. the vest. Like, I'm saying if you're good. wearing, but a vest with no tie is weird to me. Are you but, cardigan right now? Because that looks good. I am wearing a cardigan. It's, I like that. Pull it's over. A, it's, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Was, no, but thanks for noticing. It was 62 <laughs> degrees this morning, so I felt like uh, wearing a cardigan in Florida. <laughs> I love the pastors who can wear the blazer with the t-shirt, man. I love that. Like, like just a sports coat and with Bold. any t-shirt you want. Yeah. It's like house, but as a yeah. pastor. He could just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just for all of our listeners, there has been no sports talk up to now. So you're welcome. <laughs> well, hey, here's a question I have for you. I like to wear my Apple Watch, right? Well, last time I wore it in my sermon, it was on airplane mode. Mm-hmm. It was also on theater mode good and it was on silence and i'm preaching and siri still goes i can't quite understand that that happened to me one month ago exact same thing how do you fix that can you fix it i haven't been wearing my apple watch for several months or for several weeks i think it's because we have another church that's been renting out our fellowship hall and even when i would mute notifications from our security cameras on sunday morning i would my my watch would be going off with security camera notifications throughout the entire sermon and so like stopped, noises or just the haptics no, just, on your just, wrist? Just the haptics, but still. But you can't not look. But but you can't. I could either take off my watch. Well, do not disturb sermon. mode has, has been the trick for me. It didn't well, work for you? You know, the other – no, it didn't. And the other week, I'm in the middle of a sermon. I'm like, some of you really need to lean into your own sin before you look at others. And Siri goes, sorry, I can't understand that. And I was just like, <laughs> see, Siri doesn't even know that. I just kind of had to play it into the sermon because yeah, go, like, the that, mic hey, totally picked preaching. it up. That's a great preaching technique. Uh, it is. Little I totally like, meant to do that. Then. <laughs> there are some things you got to just ignore and push through, and then there's other things that you have to mention. Or well, if you're it was like so awkward. loud. <laughs> yeah. If you're in the Old Testament, you know, if you're in Daniel or you know Jonah, if you say Syria or Assyria, yes, oh, Syria, you're done. Uh, yeah, Syria. Oh, so like I was preaching, and and my phone was on the front row mm. and it just kept chiming in and i was like what am i saying and the whole <laughs> congregation got it before i did wow. oh that's funny that's really funny hey well in today's episode we're going to talk about um politics so it's not sports it's something worse keep it light you know yeah but um i mean i think it's gonna be a good conversation because we're gonna talk about like the day we're recording this is the monday before the election um and uh and so we'll be Hopefully, hopefully by tomorrow Day before night. the apocalypse. So, yeah. So if you are listening to this, this would be apocalypse minus one. Yes. In, in the order of dating and wherever you are in your future. Okay. I just, the, I just we, went today, this morning and finished early voting. So yay, 2020. Yeah. 
Good man. Yep. Do you know, I voted, I, I voted last man. Thursday, and I have found in my community, the people who have already voted are happier. I feel like they're just like the burdens off of them. They yeah. just have more joy to talk to because it's just not a thing they have to go do anymore. Well, their joy is going to be robbed tomorrow. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to we're gonna talk about uh, kind of like what it's going to be like. I mean, this is going to be kind of like pondering and hypothesizing of what life is going to be like after the election, but also what is pastoring in that in that in that world after the election. So we're gonna talk about a little bit hey, about that. Whoever's pastor took the three week sabbatical right now, smart move, buddy. Smart move. Smart Real smart move. <laughs> and by the way, when I said yay twenty twenty, I meant Kanye twenty twenty. Oh, oh, we, we all knew what I you wrote meant. him in. Yeah. Hmm? Oh you could. Good, good, good. Hey, I did I, I did hear that there is a state. I think it's like I did see him. There was a list of names that you could write in on the wall when I was in line, and I did see his name, and I was like, I chuckled a little bit. I don't, my mask. I did hear. I don't know. What's, I don't know if it was like Idaho or some state like that. But there's a state where you can write in candidates, and the candidates can submit their their nicknames as their as their like running name or whatever. And and so there was a guy. I think it was like Idaho who made their who ran for president, and in that state he put his name as none of the above. And he got thirteen. He got thirteen votes because <laughs> awesome. thirteen people wrote none of the above in the writing. <laughs> so that's pretty impressive. Vote ye hey, so for the birthday party. You guys who have already voted, did you vote with the paper ballot or like me? Did you vote on a touchscreen? So yours wasn't both, Jeff, because I did mine on a touchscreen and then it shot out a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it I prints had... it for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But no, like you didn't fill in the, the bubbles. Yep. Pa- fill in the bubble. Paper ballot. But I felt weird because I remember all throughout high school, people saying, when you fill out these like documents and you bubble in, it has to be a number two pencil. And I just had this like sterilized pen that they gave me. You were confused with the SAT, man. I guess so. But yeah, I, and they, <laughs> they, they gave me a sticker. There was a lot of like protocol. I had to put it in the envelope, not seal it, go into a lady, seal it, and have her and like sign it or something, and then put it in a box. And they gave me a sticker, and I walked out of my uh, – Really? Dude, it's Library. so funny that like it's it's like the cheapest possible sticker is proof that you are a good citizen. <laughs> That's it. That's all you need. The hey, cheapest. Delmar, when you put it's like your a participation in, trophy, <laughs> when you put your ballot in, was the lady like super awkward and not looking? Because my the lady that was like doing mine was like, put it in here. And she like, <laughs> yeah. she, like trying to make sure I knew she wasn't looking. I think I voted with a Q-tip. Did you vote with a Q-tip? We voted. Uh, no, it was my finger. No, they gave me a Q-tip, and I had to like touch the thing smart. with a, with a Q-tip. Yeah. Yeah, they sanitized it right before, so I wouldn't. You know get the what's funny? I watch all these commercials about the voting this year, and it's just beautiful imagery where the camera's gliding into the voting bo- like the voting system. It comes up with this like well put together human being behind the booth, and she's like, "Here's your order." But when you go to it in real life, it's like when you watch the McDonald's Big Mac commercial and then you go and get the real Big Mac. It's just like, it's just like, your, your boost over there. Go over. Here's a Q-tip. Do it. It's like, not at all. Like, what's you I don't know. at your vote? polling location? I'm in South yeah, Carolina. Where did you so. drive to vote, man? <laughs> in South Carolina? Hey, well, we're a military, st- we're a military community, down, so right? true, you have true. all kind of accents around here, which true. is kind of fun. Russian military, apparently. That's interesting. Did, did I hear correctly <laughs> that, Tim, your church is a voting place? We are a polling location. Uh, have been for as long as I've been there, so way before my time. Mm, is there with Caesar. <laughs> is there any kind of incentive for your church? Like, Do you guys get paid or anything? I think it's like 
they two hundred bucks. They pay like you that. for utilities and, yeah. and usage and stuff. Like I think that. I think it's like a hundred like two hundred bucks. That's it. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. Did you I'm, do it for the election day or like early? Yeah for for the primaries for everything. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So has yeah, right everybody here are, already voted? Is that what I'm hearing? I have not. He is an election oh. day guy and always has been. I'm going to stand in line. I will say I do think it should be a national holiday. I think election day should be like everybody. My wife's a teacher and agree. she's out tomorrow. Yeah. Really? So I was like, I, I want that. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are the bosses. You can take off tomorrow. <laughs> Dell, is your wife out because uh, do what I want. it's a polling location? Uh, yeah. Her, her school is a, um, a voting location. Yeah. Cool. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, um, you know, we're going to talk about some more about politics in a little bit. Uh, yep. We we have some cool clergy cliff notes. Can't I, I think it'll be pretty practical. But before we do that, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit subscribe. Please like all that kind of good stuff. If you're on iTunes, of course, we would love a five star review. Share this with a friend and also join us on our Facebook group, like our Instagram page, all that kind of stuff. It's going to help the show. Keep it moving. Keep it going. With that being said, let's do a clergy cliff notes. We still don't have a soundboard. So, Andrew Larson, can you sing cliff us in? Cliff notes. Clergy cliff notes. Oh, he Here's ready. what we've been reading about this week. From the internet. Because we don't get real newspapers. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Delmar, um, start us that was pretty good. from your, I feel like this is a fake website, churchtechtoday.com. <laughs> <laughs> totally fake. Tell, tell no, about- it- Delmar, is it your website? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably some kid in college who just like said, I'm going to start a Facebook thing for my, our no, webpage for my final the thesis. Pastors, it's the guy that pastors a church of 75 people, but wants a side hustle. It's like, yeah. I'm going to try to get other churches to buy what I'm doing kind of Church thing. Church Tech today. Church, hey, yeah. Yeah. diversify and that portfolio, good, guys. Good hey, for him. He's getting, pa- he's getting paid tons of money in ad revenue. I'm looking at this website. There are a ton of ads here. So yes, anyways, sir. go ahead. Tell me about uh, this okay. uh, the site. Yeah, so today's Clergy Cliff Note. Uh, We have not yet talked about our first and second time guests, like how we greet them, how we follow up from them. And I do think there's probably an entire main discussion we can have about first impressions or whatever you call it at your church. But today, I really just wanted to talk about that second time guest, aka how do you follow up with that person who's come the first time? Because everybody knows getting the walk through your door is great, but that second time through your door is is where the community really starts. So I'm just going to read you the ones that they give here. And then I would love to see if you think some of this is overkill, if it's underkill, or maybe you have some creative ways that you do it that are just blowing um, 18-year-old church tech guy today out of the water. So um, I'll just read them. And some of these, like I said, you probably already do them, but this is really just primer for the fire. Um, first thing is send a text. You could text them um, like the the following day or later on in that day. Email, obviously, uh, handwritten notes, which are kind of coming back with the way everything's just a text and an email these days. Um, you make that personal phone call. Uh, you can send a gift or you could find out where their middle school child goes to school, stand in the drive through line and wave. <laughs> That was kidding. not no. Don't the options. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. So no. But those are like the top five, and I think those are like the low hanging fruit ones. Which to me, I'll just go ahead and let you know. Like s- sending a gift, like that's interesting. Um, our church pre COVID, our pastor 
every Sunday they baked cookies. And if a new person came to church, our deacons would take a bag of warm chocolate chip cookies to the people's house. Um, so when I hear send a gift, that can sound kind of like consumeristic, but like in some ways it actually could be really personal. So that's something. And honestly, sometimes people have tried to kill that. And our pastor's like, no, in a church, our size, that really matters. Having those fresh baked cookies, it's like, we're here for you. But I would love to hear some of the things that you do when it yeah. comes to your first times. I'm glad that we are talking about this because this yeah, is an area. Mug, Tim, what? it's behind you. The you're mug what? that you drink your coffee out of this morning. Sure, I'll get it for you. Here. Oh, a, almost lost. Like, like I said. This I, is our first time visitor that's, gift. That's mm-hmm. Andrew's first time Zoom visitor gift. Can we? We can't. We have I, it, we're we're so far away. Oh, got gotcha. you. What if we? What if we cut to the other cam? Then we. Oh, might be, look at that! Yeah. Oh, that's fancy. It's a nice mug. If it's I visit nice your mug. church online, can I get one? Yeah. What are you doing for first timers online? Uh, we've said like for since March. Hey, if you're visiting online, send us an email. We'll we'll mail you a mug because we have like. I'm a- sending an email on Sunday. I'm totally, <laughs> yeah, buddy. Me too. Let's get Andrew's email and put it in the show notes. Hey, guys, for real, though, again, all honesty, (laughs) this is an area where I I genuinely struggle. Like, I am just not great at first-time follow-up. The only thing we do right now is we we have them fill out a connection card or an online digital connection card, and then I will typically – just make a phone call and touch base with them. And then I'll take some notes. And from there, I, I feel like I dropped the ball. So I'm, I'm glad that we're having this discussion because we actually brought it up at our elders meeting last week. This is an area where we as a church want to grow. We want to get better. So I am all ears today, boys. All right. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to think about what my church does. Cause like, this is the kind of weird thing about a uh, multi-state church. It's like, there's kind of layers in terms of who's in charge of what. But here's what I do know is um, I had to write a letter um, earlier this year that's going to be kind of like whenever a new person has a connect card and says this is their first time, that letter gets – it's multi, it's duplicated on a bunch of stationery, and that letter gets mailed out to that person. It's a form letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, – it's kind of so like whenever someone comes in – says you know they're new that letter is going to be mailed out to them my assistant will do that or whatever um but i this is something that's really cool and and i think this is kind of like low-hanging fruit for for possibly for for a lot of people so we once a month every first sunday of the month we have this thing called first steps and so for 20 minutes after the service any new people who – or people who maybe have been around for a couple of weeks or this is the first Sunday, we, we take them to the cafe area and we have um, uh, like a 20-minute little presentation giving an overview of who we are as a church. We have a short video talking about the history of our church. And then like it's literally like Q&A time. And, it, and it's all about helping people pl- like clearly plug into our church. This is the first step to be able to find your next step here at our church. And, and and so and like I was actually able to do it yesterday. So I was a campus pastor. We had our children's director, and we had our worship pastor there. And um, and we kind of just we we talked to them. We answered questions, and and it was cool because they were able to answer kind of all their tough, hard questions that may because they're from a different denomination. They don't know what it's like here and all that kind of stuff. And I think that was kind of helpful because it gave them a clear pathway of what does community look like what does serving look like and what does like maturity in christ at the church looks like i i don't know like when i look at this list i you know i think about the gift thing and i i I mean i say this anybody who came to the first steps got a free epicos mug 
So like there was a gift there, I guess. But like I almost wonder if like like is this overkill? You know what I'm saying? Like sending yeah. so, a text, an email, a, a letter. I mean, I think it's cool for personalization, but I wonder if it's also kind of a little bit out of touch for like millennials and Gen Zers. If like this is something we even want, as you know what I'm saying? Go ahead. So yeah, I think I think you're. I, I like where you're going because I think you need. This is me speaking, and this is me speaking in my co- in my context. I'm I'm in the South, um, which is known for like Waffle House conversations. So we're pretty social people. But I think if I'm getting all this, I'm now worried that they have my information. Sure. You know, yeah. because it's like wow. So so what we do. When they come on a Sunday morning, uh, we used to give out mugs and stuff, but we're still loading in and loading out. And since we've had to relocate, it's just a lot tighter. So what I did is I went to Little Caesars and I got a hundred uh, Little Caesar pizza vouchers. So because I'm thinking, what does a young parent want? Man, they want lunch for their kid that day and not have to worry about it. So we give them a little an envelope says "Welcome." Inside of it, it's got a free Little Caesars pizza and some information about the church. And then if they, um, when they come, we are, we are coming up with a system now. So the following week, they're going to get a letter in the mail, which I think is a little less intimidating because it's like, they're not harassing my phone and blowing me up. It's actually a more of a passive way, but it's also more intimate because it's your handwriting. And then the last thing we do is I do hand off their information to our database system. So that way, when we do fall retreats, uh, I mean, not fall retreat, but fall festivals and things that are for the community that we can make sure we directly are sending them the mailers. It's not like a spam, but it's like, here's some community things you may be interested in. So that's kind of our, our three tier reach system. But yeah, I think a lot, I mean, this whole conversation is assuming that they fill out a connect card and give you information. And that's been a big part of it for us is like, and I think uh pro church tools, Brady Shearer, I know a while back had an article uh, some research, I think, about uh, connect cards that are too long and too many questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the percentage of people that will f- tend to not fill it out tends to decrease as the number of things increase on the card. Yeah, so, so Brady re- Shear, if you're listening, we really want to have you on the yeah, show to have really that conversation. We would love to. Um, so for us, we, we've we tried some of that. We hit, you know, we have digital connect card now, and um, we had physical one before that. So I have a lady in my church who is really, really just like this is her her gift is hospitality. And uh, she I I found out she was already texting new people like she would just go up to them in the lobby and like make friends with them and get their number and text them. And so I was like, well, why don't I just put her in charge of that? She's crushing it already, (laughs) already doing it. So um, that's what we did. And um, we do have planning center and we have it set up so that if a new connect card does get filled out, it alerts me. And then I can, you know, you can set up like um, different steps that different people can do. And so probably any, any management software has a system like that, but um, we, we haven't done a gift. Uh, and I think like you said, Dell, part of it is culture. Um, it took me a while to learn that like South Baltimore, people are very friendly after a period of time. At first it feels standoffish to me, because I did grow up in the South. Uh, but there is almost like, I guess it's like a Northeast aggressive kind of thing where people are a little bit like, hey, you know, don't invade my space. So it takes people two or three weeks to come back in a row uh, before they're even filling out a connect card for us. So it's something we're really trying to figure out. And for us, you know, this whole conversation, we've tried to flip a little bit on its head because we're, we've moved in the direction of missional communities 
being the front door of the church uh, as opposed to Sunday morning. So we we don't assume that somebody's first time visiting with us is on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's more likely that their first time visiting and interacting with our church community is on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, uh, depending on where they live. So we have two missional communities that are geographically uh, based. One is near, one is in my house and one is in another little town, not too far from here. So those are the first front door for us. And then from there, if they come on a Sunday, then, you know, there's, there's like a different path. If somebody just shows up on a Sunday, then, you know, we try to direct them into one of the MCs uh, and vice versa if they show up at an MC first. Have you guys been you know, to any churches that are just kind of killing it with with first impressions? I took my team to a, a church last year, and I, I must have gotten, I don't know, eight touch points in about four weeks, which it didn't feel like overkill. Uh, and then I reached out to the, the guys over there, and they use uh, Breeze church management software, and they said it's fully automated, even the postcards. And I had no idea that they cool. were all fully automated, but it was really cool. I'm looking that up. <laughs> I think if you are, if you're gonna do a gift, it can't suck. Like yeah. You, like the, I, the the church that I grew up in was like, "Hey, visitors, we want you to fill out this card, and if you fill out the card, you can keep that pen." It's like, Ooh. <laughs> oh wow. Um, so like the the mugs that I was just showing, it's not in the you know bottom sixty percent in the price point of, I don't remember who I used to order our mugs, but literally every time like we hand someone one, they're like, Oh wow. Yeah. This is a really nice mug. And it's like, yeah, it is. Um, you know, because if it's a crappy gift, it's like, you know, Hey, here's a goodie bag full of pens and a, and a brochure they're, that's going to get thrown away. So you want something that someone will want to hang, hang on to no matter what. And one church gave me a really nice moleskin. That's a, that's nice. Was the district That's super church. hipster. Well, you know, they're very hipster. There, there was an article I read maybe three years ago that said something like one in 10 first time visitors will make that church their home church. So, you know, just if you spread out your first time visitors for in whether or not that person is a weekly attender, monthly attender, whatever that person considers to be their home church, one in 10 people who visit a church will make that church their home church, but three in 10 that receive some kind of a mm. gift from the church will make the church their home church. Wow. wow. So when I, when I was thinking through this, I thought about, it's like a Venn diagram. There's three different things you're trying to steward at the same time when you're doing these follow-ups. You're trying to steward their information well. Because you don't want them to think that you have this and now, you, oh my gosh, I wish I would have never given them that. You're also trying to steward your church's resources well, because I can buy $10 mugs. You know, is that is that God honoring with Little Miss Betsy's $10 a week tithe, you know? And then I'm also trying to steward both our time and the other person's time, you know? So there's these three things. And if I'm eating up their time and making them anxious about their information, if I'm being a bad steward, so somewhere in the middle... You have to determine, like, where's the sweet spot? I know for me, um, every single weekend of the year almost on Saturday, I go to yard sales because we live in a military community. So, like, these people just let stuff go really cheap. So, we go yard sales. I cannot – I have lost count of how many times I have seen our churches – I saw one of our church's mugs from, like, the early 2000s at a yard sale. I saw um, a book bag that we gave our student ministries. We gave them drawstring bags. I've seen those at yard sales. So it's like, I mean, it's cool. And to which I'm a little perturbed because I'm like, man, you're you're letting that go for 50 cent. I gave you that for free. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, but yeah, I think there's a, there is a level of like, how are we stewarding that? Have any of y'all ever done a first time thing that just absolutely bombed? Oh, my previous church, we went, for, you know, not the warm cookies, but we would give visitors a warm loaf of bread like that day. And so what that meant was there was bread that was in the freezer in the church kitchen mm-hmm. that was heated up for the service. And if nobody took it, it went back in the freezer. And so I was like, oh, wow, that is that's terrible. And so then someone decided, no, that bread's not a good idea. <laughs> so so we were we were giving out bags of microwave popcorn with like a little sticky note that said, glad you popped in. And I was like, hey. oh, my goodness. Oh, got the puns. So well, we were. I mean, can we talk about bad church coffee too? Like, I don't know what go ahead has happened in the previous generation, but like something's broke, man. If you're a if you're an, I'm gonna. I hope this isn't offensive. If you're a boomer age pastor, please, please brew some decent coffee for the millennials that are coming to visit. Because can you say it louder? We like so that my pastors can hear it. Don't just have coffee because you think you're supposed to have coffee oh. and buy the cheapest possible, like chock full of nuts or whatever. Folgers, the best yeah, part Maxwell. Up. Like, okay, so here's here's it's the thing: not if you that are much listening, more expensive. Yeah. Like, it really. Yeah. We were we start we have a cold brew um, that we do, and so what started to happen was like the ladies that make the coffee were brewing hot coffee for Sunday morning. And then their idea of cold brew, because I, I didn't communicate it well enough, was whatever's left over, decaf and regular, just mix it all together and put it in the fridge and we'll serve that as the iced coffee the next week. And I had to explain, like, there's a big difference between cold brew and iced coffee. And so we need to, like, brew some cold brew, like, Friday before so that it's actually really good on Sunday. But so you guys here, brought your hospitality teams back. Like we, we're not serving food. No, we're not. Yet. Um, no, we're not. I okay. actually do serve coffee just in our life group space, but it's K cups because it's which is you could argue about the quality of that. But when, but you know, most churches are going to return to that. And I will say this quick thing: there's there's what you call first, second, and third wave coffee. Okay, first wave coffee was made really big during World War One, World War Two. It's the stuff where you get like Folgers, Maxwell House. It's actually where the freeze dried stuff, you know, the instant coffee. Back then, it was more to serve a utilitarian purpose. Then you have second wave coffee, which is going to be more the mainstream coffee like Starbucks or Dunkin', where they actually were like, we want to actually make sure that we're resourcing good beans. And then you have third wave coffee, which is really about fair trade. It's about getting to know your coffee distributors. Here's the thing, church, at least go second wave on your coffee. Like our church, I will say this, ma'am, the other day I went and got coffee out of our church and I drank it and I I was very, I tried to be polite, but I went up to our our hospitality girl. I said, I can run my father's diesel truck off of this stuff. Like, like, Hey, but some people like that. Like there's there's some old guys in my church that are like, man, I want it to be so so, Okay. This is a battle you have to fight. This is a way that I was able to get around it in our church setting for a little while. We have a partnership with a ministry in Haiti, which does really good local trade. I was like, how about this? Why don't we put up a little sign that says every cup you get helps support Haiti, 
we give it away for free, but that what it did, it kind of convinced them on the missional side to invest a little bit more in their coffee because they're actually supporting a ministry. And it took our coffee from like a three to at least a six, which is a big deal in coffee world. Yeah. So if you're having a hard time fighting that battle, marry it to your mission and your ministry, and you could probably up your coffee game a little bit. And also speaking of first time, tying it back to first time guests, doing something like that, I think taps into that millennial Gen Z thing about I want to be connected to a cause. My parents' church was an Assemblies of God church in Spring Hill in Florida. Uh, Their church has, they call it the Global Cafe, I think, and they do different roasts from different areas of the world. And whichever roast you buy, um, you know, the money will go to support that that missionary that they have in that in that region. We we got I mean, my church is super lucky. When I got here, I found out one of my elders daughters is a local coffee roaster. Oh, man. And I was like, why are we not buying coffee from her? And right? uh, we we do now. And it, I mean, it's it is 100 percent better than what we were buying before. She I means she she I mean, she roast. I helped her move the roaster when she moved her her coffee shop a couple of years ago. So, I mean, if you can find a partnership locally and have locally roasted stuff, I would do that. I never thought on this clergy cliff note we would have such an informative time about coffee. And it's important. Man. As a person who's Very not important, I don't drink that much coffee, so this is this is really interesting. Um, we we hey, in pour overs a couple months ago. Your youth pastor our, is our, killing our it. Our youth guys have, is, Dude, that's was, cool. has been a barista, a barista for forever, and so he's got. So we've got a local coffee house that's you know they roast their own beans and they partner with a farm in Costa Rica. So it's a you know, it's a ethically See, sourced cool. coffee that's really thing. Cool. They're you know they're right on Main Street, which is a block away from us. And so we do. The, the problem is when you're doing pour overs, it's like so scientific. So it's eighteen to one coffee to water ratio. And so a twelve ounce bag can get you like twenty cups of coffee. Yeah, which makes it expensive. <laughs> like, Very yeah. expensive. It's like wow. So basically we're paying a buck per cup that we're serving. But hey, it looked good in the but, Instagram saying, photos but, and but it tasted it did even look better. Great in the, yeah, I, I saying, saw that Instagram it, photo. It, it, it looks great. great on the IG and it's a, <laughs> and it's the, the coffee house, you know, we've got a better relationship with the coffee people down the street than we did this time three months ago. And like you said, it's connecting the people that care really care about good coffee. I think that's what we're really getting at. It's it's it really is about tapping into the desire people have to get, you know, they want to know that even the thing they drink is bigger than themselves in church. And when you when you say, "Listen, we're actually buying this coffee so someone can hear about Jesus in Haiti." Like that really matters for me if I'm going there. Even if I don't like coffee, I'm like, "Wow, they're so intentional about everything." That says a lot about to to your average person. This church isn't just there to nickel and dime and have me on a roll. They want to use my nickels and dimes to get people the gospel. Well, and I I don't remember where I heard this, but I know that I heard somebody say that uh, in terms of first time guests, like first impressions, if you can give them like a pleasant surprise, that's a good like a, oh huh I didn't know that that's a good uh, thing. So I mean, just an idea that we have actually talked about in the past with the connection we have with the coffee roaster is that first time guests kind of we've talked about doing the mug and then possibly getting some kind of little like coupon percentage off of like a bag of coffee at that coffee shop. And we have a little sign that says like today's coffee was roasted by vent coffee roasters in Baltimore. Here's the address. You should go check it out. That's cool. Here's a, here's a fun idea. Um, and we're going to transition to the next clergy cliff note is, you know, I, 
I know you guys come from the land of church potlucks, and up here that's not mm. as common. But one thing we were we 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 used to do this like fall fall kickoff event where we would have like we 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 own these like giant grills to cook burgers and hot dogs in, and I've been encouraging them for years. I was like, hey, it takes a lot of volunteers to cook a bunch of burgers and dogs for hundreds of people. Let's bring in a bunch of food trucks and like just say, hey, the food trucks will be here. People can buy their lunch and whatever, and we can have community and support local businesses. The coolest thing we did is I we ordered three or four local food trucks, but also one mobile barista, and that was the coolest thing ever because this person made like really high quality coffee for our little event, and the the, pe- the people loved it, and the community loved it too because it was super fun. All right, Tim, um, what do you do when you pass gas on stage? That is not my clergy cliff note. <laughs> but what is your clergy cliff note? <laughs> Andrew. I... Here's the deal. Uh, we're going we're gonna to link this clergy cliff note like we always do. It's on Christianity Today, and it's titled Few, Few Churches Back to Pre-COVID Attendance. And and there's a lot of stats and figures in there that I'm not going to get and into. I should say the churches that are back to pre-COVID attendance – has everyone getting COVID? <laughs> the, the the gist is this: most churches are back open and they're gathering in person. By far, most churches are back open, and by far, uh, most churches do not have the same number of people attending in person uh, that they had pre-COVID. Uh, we've experienced this at Lakeview. We're at I I think we're right at about sixty to sixty-five percent. That's right. Where we uh, as to where we were pre-COVID, and we've kind of been maintaining that for the last four or five weeks or so. There's been a little bit of an uptick. That's probably what we went from sixty to sixty-five percent, but we've been kind of holding right there. So we had a really interesting discussion with uh, my elders last Wednesday night, and it was just this idea of, okay, here's where we're at at 60 to 65%. Do do we want to encourage people to start making a plan to come back? Or do we not want to risk the shame of saying, hey, we'd love to have you back and continue to encourage them worshiping online? Uh, we do believe that the online worship is a, is a supplement. It's a temporary fix. It's not the, the long-term thing. So I don't know. I, I was kind of wondering, where are you guys at with now that you're back open? What what has attendance been like? Are you experiencing the same kind of things that we're going through? Our attendance is right in the pocket where you are at both of our campuses. At our at our the campus that I'm at, sometimes we'll spike a little bit more, but that's actually in the DNA of anyone who goes and plants a church. A lot of times those people take more risks in general because they're willing to go out there to begin with. Um, but as far as initiating the conversation, I just get a sense, at least in our community, that it's critical we start having that now pastorally. Um, the, um, the next three weeks, I'm y'all, you guys would even think I'm a real pastor because I'm preaching for three weeks in a row here at our church. Wow. Our pastor. Yeah. After the election, our pastor's taking a three week sabbatical. We but just then finished what, after up. three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh? Take- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll go back to writing, but yeah, our, our pastor's taking a three week, um, because we just finished a, a massive building campaign. So we're preaching and we're going through Hebrews 10. Hey, you and broke ground too, right? That's pretty cool. Yes, sir. Really cool. We finally put some shovels in some dirt. That's nice, man. It was awesome. So yes, we're, we're pretty jazzed up about that. And we, where I kind of sat was, we're going to be on the heels of this election. It's probably going to be contested. Everyone's going to be here. 
what do people need to hear in times of trial? It's the same thing they've always needed to hear, and that's the gospel. And that's like the gospel is the encouragement for today, and it's what sustains us until tomorrow. You know, so we decided to drop in on Hebrews chapter ten because if you you know Hebrews more or less was probably a, a sermon, the whole book. And at 10 is where it kind of crescendos, you know, and, and you know, chat, it rolls into 11, but it crescendos on the gospel. So we decided to drop into there. And also many of you know, it's in Hebrews 10, where it talks about not forsaking gathering together, which is really coming out of a heart that's connected with God wants to be connected with others. So we're having to step square into the middle of that cow pie on our, on our first week. Um, preaching and the way we've approached it is this is not a guilt and shame um because it's some people aren't coming back because they never were of us that's why they went out from us some people aren't coming back because they legit have fear and they're trying to work that out and the last thing they need from us as pastors is to berate them so we're just using that passage to say listen here's where we're at you need to know when are you coming back? And if you don't know yet, that's the conversation you need to have. You know, go ahead and have the conversation. Hey, when COVID hits this number, we're going to come back. Or at this time, if this thing happens, if our schools come back, we will come back. But you need to, I'm, we're encouraging our people who aren't back, at least have the conversation that leads to a journey back to church. And to me, that's a way to do it in a way that doesn't seem like we're just guilting. Because, you know, there's lots of pastors who are like, you thought you were a Christian until you got a little fear in your soul and then you're just going to go to hell. And it's like, no. So I think for me, it is really just I'm engaging people to engage each other about when to come back. And I do think there is a sense of like, listen, if you're unwilling to have that conversation about when to come back, then then we have to get to some spiritual stuff that maybe you you're dealing with or avoiding. No, that's good though. I I ran into a young couple uh, at a restaurant who has not been back to church and I ran into them last week and they were very surprised to see me and the the first words out of their mouth were this is our first time out. Like <laughs> almost like I caught them and I was like, guys, I, I just wanted to say, Hey, I wanted to meet the baby. They had a, they had a baby during, uh, during the pandemic. So I got to meet the baby, but I could just, I could feel how tense it was. Cause they kind the of felt like, shame. like, what is he going to say to me? And then Dell actually had that exact conversation that, that you just talked about with them. And they were very supportive and very on board. So it was really cool. A lot of our people want that. I had a lady call me a couple weeks ago. She talked to me 30 minutes. The only thing she wanted to tell me was, Delmar, I want you to know every Sunday I get my family, we still get dressed up, and we sit in front of the TV and worship. When you're praying, our eyes are closed. When we're singing, our hands are raised. And I think it's exactly what you were just saying, man. She, it's, I am in it. Please don't please don't dag me and say I'm a bad Christian. And I think like, to me, it kind of hurt my heart. Cause I was like, I don't ever even want to be seen as the pastor who would come across that way. But I think some of that is some of their own hurt pouring out. Well, and I think church is something that they have some control over whether or not, you know, we're, we're, we're not out beating people with, with rods, like somebody might've done post-reformation if they're not showing up in church on time. <laughs> Ouch. Um, I'm just saying it's, Stab. It's, it's, it's church history. It happened, but <laughs> you know, people, I, I know of someone that is, she's back at work and is miserable. Like she does, she didn't think she should have to go physically go back to work 
and her work required her to. Mm. And you know, there's so many things that were virtual seven months ago that aren't virtual now. And church is something that they can still choose on their terms when they're ready to go back, mm. when they haven't been able, you know. That's a good point. They, you know, they weren't able to choose what was the best option for their student. And maybe, maybe they were. Like for us, my kids were home for eight weeks and it was awful. Uh, and we weren't trying to keep the kids home because like we were like, we were at Disney twice a week during that time. But it was just our family. We, we could make it work for them to be home and someone had to be the one to be at home. And so we were at home. But so there are families that, you know, the kid doing virtual learning. Well, how do you do virtual learning with a seven-year-old? We don't really have a choice over that. And the boss man says, you got to come back to work. Well, fine. But church is something that I still get a say and I, my opinion still factors into it. And so I think just having the the grace to be like, hey, do you know, we're not really counting numbers this year anyway. We're not publishing those and sending them to our elders. I don't know if that's what you guys know, but our, our rules are like, <laughs> uh, here's the giving every week. Here's the numbers. Like, it, and and post-March, we just have not published any attendance numbers for anybody because they're just awful anyway. We, we have so. been publishing attendance numbers. We've been trying to, to gauge uh, those who are watching live and those who are attending live. Mm-hmm. So we don't count the, the views past the service time. So that's mm-hmm. how we've been doing attendance well, numbers. Well, and I've, I've heard from several people. And again, we're in Florida, so that's a little bit weird. And talking about attendance, because you know that's kind of the, the thing of this, this past Sunday, yesterday, was the first Sunday of November. And we had three different families of our snowbirds that were back. Hmm. And that's something that you guys probably don't deal with a whole lot, but it was like, a, oh, wait, there's snowbirds coming back. And like the people that, right. that were, that we didn't get to say goodbye to yeah. in the, in the uh, spring because they were still here and they usually make a big deal of saying goodbye when they go back up North for the winter. Mm-hmm. So for them coming back, that's been a unique attendance thing. A lot of snowbirds. But, it's like Easter after Easter, they kind yeah. of depart, right? So it, yes. yeah. So it's no November 1st to May 1st is a lot of hours that, yeah. we, that we get, but just realizing that there's no broad stroke that you can paint anybody in. And sure. If you know, if you're eating in a restaurant, if you're going to work every day, if you're going to a ball game or, or whatever it may be, well, then maybe it's time to start having that conversation. But I don't know. I think. Well, Andrew, you still have elders at home. Yeah, right? I have. I have two elders that have not been to church since March. Um, both live with people that are immunocompromised. Yeah. And how do you, you know, that's a one, different I, kind I, of conversation, I, yeah. though, with, with the people who have a health thing. I have one of our girls who's on staff here. Her her main job at, at our campus is to get us into the school. She's got two kids who have a terminal sickness that has to do with their respiratory tract. They went to the doctors and they said, if your daughters get COVID, they're going to die. Now, whether they are or not, it doesn't matter. The doctors have said that. So I'm not going to tell my staff member to risk this. You know, so there is a different, this is where being really leaning on the pastor in your calling is so important because some people aren't coming because they found out they like sleeping till noon on Sunday. And then some people aren't coming because they, they really want their kids to see tomorrow. And that requires a lot of conversations and a lot of empathy. It's a really sensitive topic. We were having this discussion as an elder board. And one of my elders texted me and said, um, can we, can we change the topic? My wife can hear this in the other room and she will probably be offended. It's like, that's how sensitive this topic is. So we, we kind of just shifted gears mid conversation. Yeah, it's it, it. And I think one of the, one of the other pastoral issues in terms of church unity 
which is very which is 100% tied to our witness in the community. Uh, I mean, the way we, you know, the way that the world is going to believe is that they're going to see our love for one another. And um, so one of the things that you have to manage, and uh, this has come up a number of times, is you're going to have to pastor people who are more comfortable coming and their assumptions about people who are not comfortable coming. And you're not at liberty to share the real reason, but you have to pastor the person who is saying, well, they're not coming because they're lazy. You and your head, no, no, they're not coming because they have an immunocompromised family member. I'm not free to share that with you. So I just have to pastorally, you know, talk about you not judging and all that stuff. So, and I think part of this conversation with the tent, we just had our first in-person gathering in our building Sunday was our first one. Um, went well, you know, we had obviously numbers are lower, but some of it depends on what your county is doing. Um, so, you know, I don't know what your if you have a capacity limit or what, but we do. And it's, it's like a 75% capacity also with masking and distancing. So for us, that means we can, y'all got a, y'all got a hard limiter on you. Who's checking that? Do you have a, like, do the, the marshals come around or how does that, you know what I'm saying? I, I just, I mean, I guess for me, it's a, it wouldn't matter who was checking it. I mean, that's just submission to the governing authority for us. Render so. unto Caesar. Yeah. Um, I think it's so funny how, how different places in America think different. <laughs> because around here, people's like, how close can I get to the line? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for us, it could be, it's about 30, 32 chairs. And, you know, households sit together. Um, we have chairs, thankfully, not pews. So we have them actually all spread out in the room. Um, and we did do a lot of work to get our live stream decent. Um and so I was really happy with that yesterday and happy with, I had two young adults who are kind of like, one is very connected to the church and one is her friend who's kind of connected and uh, they really ran everything and they did a great job. So that was really helpful. But yeah, I mean, our numbers are are not what they were, but if I total up the people that I know are watching online and the people that showed up yesterday, it's roughly everybody. Um, so they were engaged in some way and we are having a discussion. I I mean, I, at the end of my, uh, time at, at Trinity where I, where I went to Bible college, um, I studied, uh, kind of the effects of electronic media and spiritual formation. And one of the things that is constantly rattling around in my brain is I feel this tension between this model of live streaming that we all use and I use where it's basically a broadcast and so there is no there is no necessity for them to actually like there's no skin in the game for them. They just kind of watch yeah. it passively. You're so an observer, been, not a participant. Right. So I've been trying to figure out ways to like how can we and, and I mean we've talked about it before on the show, but like the way the NBA did some of their stuff with screens. I've seen artists uh do some stuff. It looks like uh a guy that Frank and I know from college who's a rapper KB uh, he's going to do a cool live stream concert experience. I saw a picture that looked really interesting. So I'm debating like maybe maybe we do. And that's why we talked with Josh uh, Fuentes, who uh, the special episode we did a while back, um, just trying to figure out, like, can we do something with Zoom? Um, we use church online platform. And for a while, we weren't broadcasting to Facebook and YouTube. We were just doing church online. So the idea was like they have to purposely choose to go there, almost like coming to church. Um, so we're just toying with a lot of different things to try to engage. I think the most important thing is like, you know, your calling as a shepherd is to try to shepherd. And I don't think 
I don't think God's going to hold you accountable for numbers, but I do think he's going to hold you accountable for what you tried to do and your heart in it. Like, I, Lord, I, I mean, I was trying. I, I Maybe I didn't do it right, but I think, you know, I think you trying to say, like, I want to engage people and I want them to hear the gospel and I want them to grow in their discipleship, I think is what's most important in the heart of a pastor. Well, I think the, the numbers conversation just in church in general, and, you know, Jeff, you and I are probably in the two smallest churches represented here, but any numbers conversation, it comes down to a stewardship issue. It'd be really easy to be like, hey, I'm going to, you know, all I got is these, you know, 50 people, all these 70, these 80, whatever it, the number might be. You know, God, that's all you've given me, so I'm just going to ho-hum until I get more people. Or you can steward what you've been given, and, you know, it's the parable of the talents just with people. So, God, what can I do with these people that I can't do elsewhere? You know, the the conversation about coffee, Tim and I were, we were, that was before lunch, after lunch, but we were saying the, isn't it great that we're small enough that we get to do stuff? You know, when you're a little church, you get to do stuff that you can't afford to do if you've got 700 people there every Sunday morning. You, sure. you're, you're little enough that you get to have the personal touch. And with smaller congregations or less congregants coming physically, we're going to get to do more things that we wouldn't get to do if there were 40 or 50% more people. And I think leaning into that saying, all right, God, what is it that you have equipped us to do in this season that we haven't been able to do in other seasons that we can do to really make a difference in the here and now? And I I would say, I do think it is like pastoral malpractice for you to just not care. Uh, and to say like, well, I don't know how numbers work and I'm not familiar with technology. It's like, I'm sorry you don't know how numbers work and you're not familiar with technology, but we live in 2020. This is where God knew you would live. And he placed you as the pastor over this group, uh, over this church. And, you know, Dell, you're in Hebrews and a little later in Hebrews, the instruction to the people is to watch the manner of life of their leaders. And I think as leaders, if our people see us caring about it and striving for it and trying to do evangelism in this weird moment that matters and you know i don't think i don't think the results are up to you but i think the effort is definitely up to you i think yeah i mean just to kind of lean into that and completely agree with you right now i think the most important thing a pastor needs to have is posture you know like you know pre-covid yeah pre-covid it was you know how are we doing these things what measures are we taking but right now like having that posture of we are completely submitting to God with the numbers. We're submitting to God with who's coming back and when we're going to, we're going to do what we need to do. But having that posture of, Hey, listen, I can't force you. I can't make you and I can't guilt you, but I can love you. And and, I mean, that's what we're called to do as pastors. And I can say, this is where the Holy spirit is leading us as a people. And and I want you to be part of that, you know? Yeah. I I think this is good. I want to transition into our main discussion. I think what you guys just said, actually segues very well. We are in uh, probably the most hotly contested election of our, I think I could say this, of our lives for the five of us here. Um, and 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 I think being a pastor in this season is really, really unique because you not only are dealing with people from both sides, I would actually argue there's actually a third arena here. There's people who are far left, far right, who are very, like, very passionate about that. And then there's people who are just kind of, observing us as pastors and observing others and like saying like, what do I need to do right now? Like, what should I be doing? Cause they, 
it's not that they don't have an opinion, but they they don't know exactly like what is the proper recourse because they could see truth on both both arguments on both sides, which I think is it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a position that I think some of our people hold. And so I I want to ask this question, you know, what do you think are going to be some best practices for us as pastors into this season of after tomorrow night? I just I feel that we're probably not going to have uh, an absolute decision by tomorrow night as much as I wish it was. We're probably going to be it's going to be like a couple days if not weeks of of kind of confusion and then even more, even though I, I praise the Lord the YouTube ads are going to be going away because I hate Ooh. those ads, you know those Hallelujah. I can't stand those ads on either side. Everybody. My, I purchased YouTube premium to get away from yeah. that. <laughs> Smart man. Hey, my, my kids are so passionate one way or the other. Yep. Because like the, they'll be watching, you know, a kids video mm-hmm. and there will be the political ads in the middle of it. So my kids have these very bizarre okay. political Same. opinions. Even Joe yeah. Jorgensen. Okay, so, Joe, don't mm-hmm. care. Let's move on. I want to watch my Minecraft video. <laughs> like, let's just, I think you just need to go there because here, there's a lot of realities that pastors, we just need to get to. You all have a political opinion. I think that's important. For us to say, oh, we don't, then you're really not thinking much. And you know how I know that? Because we had, we had trick-or-treaters at the house this week. I, I decorated my house for Christmas, put up all my lights, and my kids thought uh, kids in my community thought that meant that the front porch was on and I wanted to do trick-or-treating. So um, I'm sitting on the front porch, and they're all coming up. They're like, Merry Christmas, trick-or-treat. And this one kid came up. She's probably nine, nine years old. And uh, in, in my front yard, she just goes, Hey, so are you a Trump supporter? <laughs> She's nine. She's like, are you a Trump supporter? I was like, well, I mean, what do you does, do? You matter? She's like, oh, I hope you are. I am. And I was like, well, can you tell me why you support Trump? She goes, because I love him. I just love him. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, here's some. Dell, you were passing out candy, right? Just to confirm. Uh what? Well, yes, it was candy. It okay, was good. not. It was not ammo. You know. Good. But uh, what? Well, well, yeah. So, <laughs> South Carolina, baby. But yeah, I mean, so I think that's the thing. Like. Since when in our history has a nine-year-old felt the need to have an impression about the president? So I, I know that if our nine-year-old, nine, I was a giant nerd. So that's <laughs> okay, well, that's fair. There, there are, I mean, there the are the answers. That doesn't count. I mean, the I, most awkward laugh I've ever I re- heard. Frank. I remember watching the uh, the George Herbert Walker Bush Bill Clinton town hall style debate and just being enthralled. I thought it was the most fascinating thing I'd ever seen on TV. I mean, I watched Power Rangers, bro. Same. <laughs> In Bible Same. college, we in Bible college we had a class that was um, taught by the son of the president of the school about American government, and that's the first time I ever cared about politics. It was a, uh, it was the uh, Romney high energy class. Yeah, it was it was really it was the weirdest class I took in Bible college just because it was so different and everything else. But I I, I think Delmar to answer your question, I I agree. We all do have particular opinions. And I think like this, this kind of goes into the category for me where it's like, I'm probably very, very vocal privately to people I trust. Like, like, I mean, I mean, I, I trust all five, all four of you guys. Jeff and I have some hotly contested text messages privately just between me. You know? um, um, but, but it's not, actually not hotly contested, but like we, I have like definitely my own political opinion and I don't want people to think that like I am void of a of thought and opinion on politics. I I think I think here's the thing, Delmar, that I want to be 
I want to make sure that people know about me though. It's like I want to be moan, most known about my views on the gospel and the, and and the bigger view of the kingdom. Because I I think I always think that like man, think about how passionate people were about uh, George W. Bush and whoever he ran against. Who cares about any of that now? Like no, like whatever sermons were preached, whatever ads people bought, like no one's talking about that anymore because of how small within the Al Gore uh, and John Kerry would be the two. Yeah. Okay. Oh sure. So what I'm saying is like. We, we don't even <laughs> talk about those conversations anymore because it's such a small, minute thing of, in terms of history where, like, I don't want my Twitter feed to be just a bunch – like, if, if, if going back in history and looking at my Twitter feed, I, I want it to be either super silly and dumb or, like, thought-provoking gospel. Th- gospel, right? Like, yeah. I don't want it to be about, like, how passionate I was about a certain candidate or not. And I think the reality is – and this is maybe where I might – separate from the fold is I truly believe as a conviction of, of my soul that the Christian experience is not going to allow us to fit neatly into either party. So therefore like we must hold to principles that either going to be affirmed or denied by both parties that, that therefore is going to make us outliers. And so without the opportunity to speak in nuance, these conversations are going to be hopeless. And so that's why, and that's why I, I think, and I know Tim. I want you to share this. Tim, t- someone asked you about pre- sharing your political views on on behind the pulpit, and my thought was like, if I were you in that situation, I would be like, it wouldn't end well because no matter what happens, even if it, if I could be nuanced, it wouldn't work in that setting. The only time political conversations can actually be beneficial is in like me and Jeff's text messages back and forth. It's in these one-on-one conversations where we can be as nuanced and understand our background where an Instagram post, a tweet is just not valuable. And I think for me, and Tim, I do want to hear, I want you to show what you said, what you said. But for me, it's like, I think if I had my druthers and was able to kind of form a series after this election, it would be on the necessity of bringing back nuance into our life and being able to, um, to realize make, that make America nuanced again, <laughs> make America nuanced again and just not make it so because like the media, the world, social media, all that stuff desires us to be as polar as possible because polarization gets votes and polarization gets views. And, that's not the that's that's the weapons of the world, and I don't want to fall yep. into that. Anyways, Tim, I want I want you to share what you said because I think this is like an example yeah. of the tension that we're all feeling right now. For me, it's it's not that I I don't want to be known for my my passionate political views, but I do want to know how to pastor people well who have passionate political views, and I think our churches are full of people with passionate political views. And I had a church member call me on Saturday, and. He just flat out said, uh, Tim, if you don't formally endorse Trump tomorrow, I will be leaving the church. And this wasn't like a, a new guy. This is someone who I've known for a long time. This is someone who's been a part of our family and our church family for many, many years. And that was a very difficult conversation to navigate and to listen to this, you know, elderly man essentially weep on the phone because of how passionate he was about this particular topic. And and we did, you know, I had some follow-up via email from him on Saturday night. And I 
I did not publicly endorse a candidate on Sunday morning. We haven't spoken since then. I don't know how it's going to end. I'm praying that uh, we'll have a good conversation this week. But it's my heart's desire not to endorse any political party, but to pastor people well who do have very strong political convictions. I think, I think what you uh, – hold on. I'm sorry, Andrew. And I think what you, what, what's hard about what you just said, Tim, is whatever happens after Tuesday, we still have to pastor them, whether they exactly. voted for Trump or they voted for Biden. <laughs> right. And so, and so that how dare I marginalize my own ability to speak into the lives of people because I want to bolster my own candidate when ultimately, like we said, four years from now, it's not going to matter, you know? Anyway, sorry, Andrew, the only, right? but they, it will matter if you marginalize them. I think that's what you're getting at. That's exactly yeah. what I'm like saying. what will matter is if I make them feel less than a person because they didn't vote for me. I think one of the right. things that I've, I'm learning is um, there's that theological statement. You know, when it comes to your political discourse, you know, you have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and when to run. You know, <laughs> like I actually got called a spineless pastor this week because of politics. Um, I got put into this massive Facebook group text and it was like politics yay or something. And it was from a bunch of people in the community and they're like, we've added Pastor Delmar into this group because he preaches fire. And we've added Pastor Dean into the group. And they, they added all these pastors. They wanted me to hand out voter information guides from the pulpit this past Sunday that tells people how to vote. Like I got put in this group and I'll be honest, I observed it. I did not interact at all. Cause I think sometimes like silence is actually a good thing as a part to what the world would say a lot. Sometimes silence is leverage and silence is where we find wisdom. And I just read what they were saying. And finally, two pastors says, I'll do it. I'll definitely go ahead. And I want my people to be informed on with the truth. And then somebody else spoke into the group. He goes, well, I see we have two. It's a shame we live in a community with so many spineless pastors basically talking about me because and a couple other guys because we're not going to push these all caps single space type 11 font pamphlets that are telling you who to vote for it looks like something that was typed on a computer in 1980 you know like and it's super bias and you know and, and here's the bad thing with some of these people i may actually even agree with them but my opinion doesn't matter like what frank said is the thing if if because politics is such a hot topic, if I speak a lot about the gospel and I speak a little bit about politics, the politics is going to rise above all the conversation I've ever had about the gospel, and then people are going to forget what I'm really about. So I try not to have that, but I think where we were leading in on the front end of the conversation when you first set it up, Frank, was like admitting that you do have an opinion is strong because it lets you know when you need to put the brakes on your own self. And it lets you know, hey, who is my person that I can be honest with? You know, for me, I've got a couple of friends who I vehemently agree with and vehemently disagree with. And we check each other quite often. And it helps me get that out so I can be about the thing I'm supposed to be about as a pastor. I think uh, one of the things I try to uh, think through is that I do not want to be a, a different person from the platform than I am in conversations. Um, obviously there are different kinds of communication, so there's a little bit of difference, but what I mean is I don't want to be saying all of the, you know, the 
the the quotable, passionate things about, you know, whatever political view I may be talking about or how the kingdom of heaven is more important from the pulpit. And then in the hallway afterwards, I'm talking about, you know, one particular candidate or another and how passionate I am about it. So um, that's been that's been a, what that's actually done for me more is changed my preaching. So I have I have entered political conversations more instead of uh, decreasing my political conversations away from the pulpit. So um, when George Floyd happened, we we pivoted and we did a series on the kingdom of heaven. I should say we were in a series on the kingdom of heaven at that point. Um, and we pivoted and connected kingdom of heaven to, you know, the history of, of racial stuff in America. And, uh, that was, I mean, there were, it was tense for like four weeks because I was preaching about it every week. Um, and I had, you know, I had an experience kind of like what you described Tim. Uh, but for me, it was a guy coming up to me after a service where we really talked about some, particularly some issues between the, the historic white and historic black church in the United States. And he handed me a back the blue uh, sticker and said, I really hope you'll put this on your car. Uh, and thankfully, I was just able to, I don't know, the Holy Spirit was like, say this. And I was able to be like, I just don't put stickers on my car. Um, and, and But then I actually, you know, and I walked away from to talk to someone else. And then I actually went back over and said, you know, it is true that I don't put stickers on my car, but particularly in this environment, that is a political statement. I do support the police and first responders, but I don't have to have a sticker on my car to prove it. Um, and so I think part of it for me has just, you know, and we, we had our first Sunday meeting in the building and we did a, my sermon was basically just some pastoral words on the election. And all I did was, uh, we've been saying it's called the memorial acclamation at the end of our service, the mystery of faith and some traditions. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Uh, that's kind of been our benediction. Everybody says that together. And that was basically the structure of the message yesterday. Because Christ has died, this is what it means in terms of the election. Because he is risen, this is what it means. And because he's coming again, this is what it means. Um, and so for me, I, I have just found that kind of just facing it head on uh, in in whatever natural way it happens, uh, either from the pulpit or in conversations or in text messages or whatever, uh, has just, I mean, it's worked, it's worked okay. But having said that, this is the first time I've been a senior pastor during an election. So yep. we'll see. So I, go ahead and draw on here. I, what you see. I had, I had had two really transformative experiences throughout my life that just the way that you think about, or the way that I think about the outcomes of of elections and mm. how as a christian we should respond to politics in general i don't think i've said this on this podcast but i started college as a political science major my college roommate is a undersecretary to a cabinet level position my childhood best friend used my college roommate um, as a reference to get a job within the white house um, several years ago and so like the story about me driving in the the president's motorcade just a few months ago comes from those types of relationships yep. so i've i've got opinions and if i wanted to have a little bit of clout in that arena had god not moved me towards ministry that's probably where i would have been that said the same election 1992 the the clinton 
and George Herbert Walker Bush election, I remember my mom. So, and I was not, I'm not a pastor's kid, but my dad's in Christian education. So a different type of ministry. Basically he was a professor at a Christian college. And my mom was on the phone with one of her best friends who is the pastor's wife the day after the election. And I remember the two of those women talking and saying, I just don't understand how Bush lost. Everybody that I know voted for Bush. I just, mm. I don't understand. And as a 10 year old, the little light bulb went off in my head saying, wait a second, if everybody that our family knows is voting this way and this way lost, that should be an issue for us as a family that we don't know in other people. Mm-hmm. Then when I was a sophomore in college, I was working at Denny's because I'm classy. And Denny's <laughs> uh, in, in Florida, we passed the No Smoking in Any Restaurants Act that same year. And so I had a couple of customers that would – they would come in till 2 or 3 in the morning and they would sit and smoke and order a cup of coffee and tip generously because I wouldn't charge them for that coffee. And then – when when they could not smoke in the restaurant, we were outside one night at two or three in the morning because they were smoking. I was not because I'm a Christian. Of course. And they saw my car as the only other car in the parking lot. They didn't know that it was my car. And I had some very somewhat offensive political statements on my car, <laughs> all of my very political bumper stickers. And basically the them not knowing that I'm sitting out there with them, they pointed to my car and was like, you know, look at this a-hole. Who you know, who would put that on and their it's car? You? <laughs> yeah, and it was my car. And they had no idea. And I just had the thought of and that th- that was the year that God had really started to push me towards ministry. And it and I had this thought of I'm not going to be able to lead anybody to Jesus if they hate me based on what's on my car, or if they hate me by what's on my t-shirt. I'm not going to be able to lead anybody to Jesus if they hate me before they get to know me. Wow. So Dell, what you were saying is yes, as, as pastors, we can have political opinions and we can f- support the candidates that we want to support. Mm. And hopefully we have theologically reasoned political opinions, but as disciples of Jesus, we are not called to just push one political agenda. We are called to go into all the world, the left world, the right world and make disciples Right. And so to do to be all things to all people, you cannot be the pastor that is pounding one political platform. So true. What is there is there anything um I guess my like I want to ask two questions. What are your concerns after the election? And then the second question is what are your prayers gonna be like this week? Uh for your and I want you to be specific, like for your congregation, like what are your prayers gonna be like? But but first thing is like what are your what are your concerns if Trump wins? What are your concerns if Biden wins? What are your concerns? I don't know. My my main concern is that it's it's it takes a long time and is unclear. I mean, I think the best case scenario for the country is that there's a landslide one way or the other. That's you said um, that's the best way? I think that's best case scenario in I, terms of like I've actually prayed that I've prayed for that. like rioting in the streets and stuff. It's yeah. like there's and I I heard um I mean I forget who it was just yesterday uh, it was a TED talk about the importance of the concession speech uh, in American politics and I I was really struck by that that you know they just that's the moment when that political candidate demobilizes their entire base. Uh, and, and, and I thought that was a really good thing. And, you know, and frankly, I, I don't know what to think about a concession speech, um, in this current climate. So my biggest fear is that it, 
you know, it's unclear and it's murky and there's legal action. And then, you know, we've already seen violence in the streets in, in different regards on both sides. We've seen bigotry on both sides. So I just, I think that will just ramp things up. Um, and so, I mean, honestly, my prayer for my people is I, I mean, I, I'm praying that they would just stay off social media for a week. Amen, yeah. bro. Wow. Amen. My prayer you know, is God make the them one. Yeah. If make, the internet make, broke, make that would be one. God's common grace, baby. It really would be. No, Andrew, Andrew, you're right. Absolutely right. I that, said that my, prayer. my prayer is, is, is Father, make them one. Just, yeah. just unity. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've we've cast our vote. Here's how it went, one way or the other. Um, and you know, we're we're in Florida. I was I was 18 during the uh, dangling Chad era. Oh yeah. So I've I've already experienced one Florida election going to the Supreme Court, and God make it a landslide. Hmm. You know, my my prayer going in is God tune my heart to the people who need who need presence. You know what I'm saying? In the sense of like, I know there's some congregants either way, whoever wins, I probably need to make a phone call, you know, just, Hey, I love you. I'm thinking about you. Guess what? The world hadn't ended and it didn't end when Rome fell and it's not going to end with an election. And, you know, so really leaning into that. Also just thinking about when it happens, we have a closed group on Facebook. I probably am going to do like a, a stream once it gets dropped, everybody's going to be up. I'd rather give them something different to listen to. Like once the results come out, Hey, all right, here's, here it is. No matter who wins, we're going to stream and, and we're going to pray. Um, because you know, I've thought about this, even as I was writing to work today, thinking about the podcast, no matter who wins, like if your candidate wins or if your candidate loses, there are negatives now, you know what I'm saying? There are negatives. So it really, what kind of payoff do you get? You know, it, so it's it's kind of what Frank was saying earlier. It's a I, my prayer is being God, remind them of their kingdom. That's been my prayer. Even yesterday, before the service started, in between the songs, we had like a a five minute kind of devotional on honestly, guys. Like, listen, politics has never really solved the core issue of anything man has ever had. I mean, look, look how many times we've tried to pass policy to c- shut down sins. It doesn't work because the only cure is Jesus. So that's been my prayer is that our people would just remember their real kingdom. Yeah, my my prayer has continued to be as we've been studying the book of Acts as a church for the last 29 weeks 3, now. thousand years. And for Andrew, that's a very long time. As just uh, that we would not lose sight of the gospel. Uh, we've studied how... Paul would routinely go back to these churches and essentially re-gospel them because we are so quick to lose focus and take our eyes off of what matters most. So it's my continued prayer is that the gospel would main, remain the top priority for us as a church. Yesterday, I, I did the benediction for our, our one of our campuses. And one thing I've been trying to do better in is tying. We talked about this last week in the show. It's like making the service one cohesive thing where it's, it's kind of we don't fall out of it because of an announcement or anything. And and so uh, the final song after the sermon was um, "In Christ Alone," and I was just and I was just reading those lyrics, and I'm just like, I, and I said. And so I said this on stage, and I said. I said, church, my prayer is that this isn't just some hollow song that we're singing on Sunday morning, that we truly believe that in Christ alone, our hope is found. 
and it's not in something or someone other than Jesus. And I and I and I said that very I said that as plain as I can. I said if our hope is in anything else, we're going to get disappointed. If our hope is in uh, whoever wins on Tuesday, we're going to get disappointed. Like our hope can only be found in Christ. And I mean, I mean, like jokingly, kind of like what Jeff said, like, I hope spectrum just breaks on Tuesday and people just get off the internet and like, no one can like just use their Facebook. But realistically, I mean, I, I mean, Andrew, I resonate with that. I, I want to pray that prayer that our people can be one. I pray, I pray that with all the fear mongering ads going away, that there can be some sort of, some form of civility back. And, and I just pray, I, I actually do pray this, and this is less to my church and more to do with maybe the people listening to the show and other pastors, is that we can do the work as pastors, not to um, reinforce one position or enrage another position, but say, now we have the hard work of bringing our people back together, okay? The 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 bold concerts and 10,000 people without masks, to the, to, the, to the rioting in the streets, to whatever the situations are, like... Hopefully that's done, and now we can say, what are we going to do as a people to bring not just both sides, but everybody together and say, this is the gospel that we stand on and believe in, and it's going to supersede this election, it's going to supersede this presidency, it's going to supersede America, so what are we going to do today, tomorrow, and the, and the day after that when it comes to the way we pastor our people? Man, it's I, I, in, 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 um, in an eschatological sense... I am unbothered by this. Like I have no problem. Like I'm, I have no anxiety in an eschatological sense in a present, like my people right now leaving, coming to our church. There's a little, there's real anxiety. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, so yeah. So, I mean, I'm praying for the people who are listening to this. I'm praying for everyone's, everyone's in this, in this, Zoom you know, call. one thing that it's going to be that interesting. has just been reminded to me over and over again is like right now, what is the work of the Holy spirit? It is is to bring unity in his people. And I think like it, it's a constant re- reminder, like, cause what you just said, Frank, like right now, the job is this, our people have to come back together, you know? And, but, but here's the good thing. We serve a God who specializes in that, y- y- you know? So like lean into that because if not, you're just going to lean into the anxiety. It's good. Well, Hey, that I, I actually am very encouraged by our political conversation today. That was really, that was really good. I'm so offended. <laughs> I have to talk uh, to you after. Um, okay. uh, I want to I want to close this out on, on this this light, fluffy question of the week, um, mostly because I don't have an answer for it. And I want to see one of you guys. Uh, what are you getting your wife for Christmas? <laughs> Another year of living in happy submission in my household. Wow, <laughs> Amy. Shout out to you. And this was his last podcast. You know what's awesome is my mother-in-law listens to this, and she is going to get a kick out of I was going to say, I, and said, so. I thought that my Santa Claus lingerie comment was going to be controversial. Hey. But, you know, man. Wow. I mean, life is good in my house. <laughs> I guess so. Probably some trip somewhere, because she tends to like... So my wife and I are very different. If you give me $100 and her $100... I will try to find the nicest version of something that I want and spend all $100 on like a really high quality, whatever she will go to like old Navy and buy as many clearance things as she can for that $100. So it's hard to balance each other out. Yeah. It's hard to get her gifts because I want to get her like a really high quality version of something. And that's not really like her love language. So I think probably, 
we'll probably go on a trip somewhere or do like a little mini vacation kind of thing. Cool. My wife just had a birthday and I just got her 12 pedicures. She loves going to get her nails done. And so it was once a month. The gift that keeps on giving. Well done, sir. You can leave the house on a Saturday when I have all four children and you can just go and be gone. Now, while those, while you are gone, those kids will all be on a device and I will not be actively (laughs) parenting, but nevertheless, (laughs) you know, once a month you can cash out and just leave and go get your nails done. So she really appreciated that. So I like that. I think the Santa, the the, the Santa lingerie is definitely the uh, Christmas present. That's not true. (laughs) That's not true. It doesn't fit me the way it used to. It's fine. My, my gift giving abilities have been up and down throughout the years. So about three years ago, my wife said, Tim, I I love that we, you know, surprise each other with gifts, but wouldn't you just like to get something that you want since we're spending (laughs) our own money? And I said, yes. So we now make lists for each other. I give her That's my good. list. She gives me her list, and we buy things off those lists. and And we will typically say something like, you know, a board game. We don't say which board game, so that way there is some element of surprise in there. But for the most part, we are giving each other things that we actually want, so our money is not wasted. My wife is wanting to turn our one of our back rooms into her like teaching room. So when she has to do online teaching. So I'm probably going to be doing some sneaking around and seeing just like what kind of shelves she wants in there, what kind of paint she wants and do that. And and for me, like the number one thing I hate doing in my whole house is painting and her, her, her number one. Yeah. I would pay somebody to paint, but her number one love language is random acts of kindness. So if I get in there and paint, she knows how much I hate it. So I hope that will translate into a thoughtful Christmas. <laughs> uh, Delmar, uh, you should in- tell your wife to make a Pinterest board of what she wants her classroom to be like and then use that information to, to make that. That's a really good idea. Creative. Uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, I have no idea. I think um, it's kind of similar to what you are doing, Delmar. My wife wants um, uh, – she wants to turn our guest room more into like a, a guest room slash office for herself. And so I think it's probably going to be some like lamps and shelves and stuff like that. I'm going to buy for her for that. So that's cool. Um, you know, it, uh, our, our Facebook group is not entirely just men, which is good. We, we have some women in there. So, so I would encourage if you're, if you're on the Facebook group, I would love to hear what uh, you're getting your spouse for, for Christmas. And if you're single, what would you want for Christmas? And, and uh, ladies, what are some good past? What are what are some good gifts, ladies, that maybe we don't know about? Like throw throw us throw us some something. That'd be great. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I think a cardigan is a perfect gift. <laughs> Tim wants ties. So more ties, please. Yeah. Oh, I sock definitely ties. want socks. Somebody give sock me socks ties. for Christmas because I don't get those. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, uh, with that being said, uh, we uh, thank you for listening. If, if you are, are on iTunes, give us that five-star review. Um, uh, write a review that helps us. Facebook group, Instagram, join those things, all practically pastoring. We want to get to 500. Uh, we want to do that before Christmas. And if you are on YouTube, do all the things. Like, subscribe, oh, Click comment, the bell. Click, yeah, ring that. Smash comment. that bell. Do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, share it with a friend. We appreciate it. But with that being said, uh, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Practically Pastoring. See you next time.